interception. Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Welcome back to the Pop Pass podcast where Charlie and I are talking all things rugby from the international stage all the way down to grassroots and we'll always try to throw in a few of your awful rugby opinions and critique them on air. But before we get into all that, just a reminder that we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you've enjoyed listening to our ramblings, analysis and dodgy northern slash French accents so far, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us that five star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full pop passport experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and even Facebook too. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Charlie, what have we got coming up in today's episode? Well, it's the end of the last Six Nations fallow week for this year's tournament, but there's still plenty on today's agenda. He's got in the win! They've done it! An incredible finish to a game that should never have been this close. Bath win another game in a thrilling West Country derby at the Rec. My unpopular opinion for you today is that Wales would have won the Six Nations last year, even without those red cards. We listen and debate your unpopular rugby opinions. Still going. Shane Williams inside to Martin Williams. And that is some start to the second half for Wales. And of course, we'll preview all the games coming up this weekend, including France and their Friday Night Lights trip to the Principality. But first, before we get into it, how good was the West Country Derby this weekend, Charlie? Fairy tale story. Unbelievable, wasn't it? Absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, first time we used Premiership Rugby... TV, whatever it was PR supposed to be called. It was a bit touch and go, actually, because we found out early on uh, when we were trying to download the pass, it was a fiver to watch the game. And we found out that we can only use the app, the mobile app. So we are like, okay, so we're going to have to watch this on... Seemed archaic. We didn't like yeah, it at all. Yeah, on our phones. Sure. Like paying fiver to do that. But then we, you know, I turned into a bit of a tech whiz and um, discovered uh, Airplay. There was a bit of uh, collaboration <laughs> on that. It wasn't just the okay, tech whiz. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll cite, I'll cite Charlie my references. Yes, I, I, I did use Charlie's help slightly to come up with AirPlay to put it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And we were treated to a brilliant game where within the first 20 minutes, it didn't look like we were going to get that. Oh, it was getting ugly. It was getting was it? so ugly. It was 21-0 within 14 minutes or something. I don't want to say it, but in my head, I was thinking that we needed a card in order to get back into that game. And uh, I'm glad I didn't say that because the commentator's curse would have come into existence and that wouldn't have happened. Lo and behold. There was a card and the game opened up. It was. Bath against 14 men for most of the game. It was, to be fair, um, I can't remember the the winger who put in the tackle, but awful, awful tackle. Yeah, straight red. It was a straight... No doubt. First replay, I was like, he's off. Yeah, at that point, I think it was 21-0 and I was hoping that Bath could capitalise. I wasn't confident, don't get yeah. me wrong, I wasn't confident, but I thought, <laughs> maybe this is our chance. Summarises being a Bath fan this season quite nicely. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't confident at all. <laughs> <laughs> but we got back into it. They were down to 13 men for some point, yes. so we played our Italy power play card. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, in the second half, a great second half from Bath. 
and a wonderful try from the Tom Prince de Glanville. The Prince of Bath, Tom de Glanville. He, he grew up playing right next to the wreck, yep. you know, learning his trade. Exactly. The, in those grounds. Fairy and then he tale. scores in a West Country derby in the corner to win it. In last the last the game. minute. Beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, how good must that feel? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Must pretty special. And uh, that is our second bonus point win in a row this year. We've got a, uh, I think, 57% win record in 2022. It's pretty good. Which, yeah, for the Premiership, it's a very competitive league. It's a very good start to the year. We're turning a corner, I think, I hope. Yeah, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. We're still second from bottom. So, yeah, exactly. um, we've, we've, we're well, off the bottom. We're off the bottom. I should have said that, yeah. We're off the bottom. That's headline news. But we're second from bottom. That's that's the key. Exactly. But it was a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon for both of us, I think. Great final results. And we can look forward to the rest of the season. And maybe, just maybe, use a Premiership Rugby TV once or twice again. Please sponsor us. Yeah, please sponsor <laughs> us. Um, but next up, we're going to move into, of course, the headline of today's show, your unpopular rugby opinions. So first up, we're going to go to my old flatmate, Mr. Tom Gwynn Evans, a huge Wales fan, although he does support England in football, so <laughs> riddle me that. Um, <laughs> but he has uh, thankfully sent us in a voice note of his of his unpopular opinion. So Charlie's going to play that now for us. Hi, chaps. My unpopular opinion for you today is that Wales would have won the Six Nations last year, even without those red cards. Let me know what you're thinking. So... Break it down for me, Charlie. Disagree. <laughs> Strongly disagree. Well, look, I, I've got the uh, the results from last year's Six Nations when the red cards happened in those three games. Yeah, break it down. And what the score was at the time. Okay, so we had Ireland first up. Wales were winning 3-0 at 14 minutes when Peter Armani was sent off. Okay, okay. okay. But they went on to be losing at halftime. It was 13-6 at halftime. Right. And obviously, they then go on to win the game. But it was it was very, very close in the end. The final score... So an early red card. Early red card, 14 minutes in. Right. And Ireland went, went in at halftime, 13-6 up. Interesting. Right. So after the red card in the, in the first half, Ireland scored 13 points to Wales' three. Okay. But Wales went, came back and they won 21-16. Now, let's talk about this game in isolation. If Ireland were able to match Wales and not just match Wales, but beat them by 10 points after the red card Mm -hmm. in that first half, and then sort of succumb to maybe tiredness or fatigue, all that kind of stuff in the second half. That makes sense, right? Because they played longer with 14 men. It gets tiring, especially against a team playing with 15. Sure. So Wales were able to come back when Ireland got more tired. So it's difficult to judge that game whether Wales would have still won it uh, without that man advantage. Right. I just think because Ireland were in the ascendancy, even for that first period when they were down to 14, that it was tiredness that got Ireland rather yeah, than Wales. I can see what you're saying. That's an important first game of the championship. Yeah. But I think the problem with having this opinion is that there's just, it was such a pattern throughout the rest of the championship yeah. that it just wasn't that one game. It was a game in isolation. And then we move on to, to Scotland. Yeah. Now, uh, in the Scotland game, Xander Ferguson got sent off in the 54th minute mm-hmm. when Scotland were winning 17-15. So mm-hmm. it was tight. It was close, but but Scotland were winning. Okay, so Wales had the remainder of the game to play against a tired team, again, who had to compensate for losing one of their players. From what I can remember in that game, Scotland were playing pretty well, actually. And Wales were the, were the team that were on the back foot. Obviously, Xander Fagerson gets sent off. Momentum completely shifts because also you've got on your mind as a player, 
you're now playing 14. Yeah. It just it just turns something on on you that you're like, okay, we this game is ours for the taking yeah. now. Yeah. Whereas Scotland, it turned to defend, defend, defend. Mm, yeah. And that is really tiring if you're going to do that for the last 26 minutes. Yeah. So again, you can't definitely say that Wales would have won that game if it weren't for that red card. Mm-hmm. You can't say that they, that they would have lost either. Yeah. But I just think to have an opinion that says, that Thomas said that they would have won it anyway... I think it's contentious. The game was too close. They were losing at that point. Momentum shifts. I don't want to seem like I'm being too harsh on Wales because, of course, I have got a strong bias here, but I'm trying to remain objective. Yeah, you don't want to nibble too hard, but it's really hard not to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we won't talk about the England game too much because there wasn't a red card in it. But then we had the final game of the tournament that Wales, of course, were going for the Grand Slam. They headed to Paris. And at 68 minutes... Paul Valemso got sent off. Wales were actually winning at that point, 30 points to 20. They had a 10-point lead, 12 minutes to go, mm-hmm. and they still managed to lose 32-30. So they didn't score any more points after the red card, and France were able to score 12. Okay, there's a small caveat in that, that Wales got two yellow cards in the 70 minutes. They got Tulipa Falatao, got yellow carded. Liam Williams got Simbind as well. So the tables were turned in a way, but they were given another red card. They were given another opportunity to secure that win. 12 minutes away from a Grand Slam, 10-point lead, and they bottled it. Of course, Grand Slams are really, really rare nowadays because the tournament's become incredibly competitive, more so than ever, I think. But I just just can't say for certain they would have won the championship. In conclusion, Tom, thanks for sending your unpopular opinion in. But there's a reason why it's unpopular, and that's uh, because I don't think Wales would have won. It's just, without it just happened cars. too many times. I, I'm sorry. I, I just don't think it would have happened. I'm sorry. But yeah, thanks for sending it in. Let's move on to the next one. So our second unpopular opinion is sent in by Mr. Tom Pridgen, our course mate. Johnny Wilkinson was average. Thoughts? Well, look... It's difficult with these unpopular opinions because you don't get any context to that opinion. You don't get any any reasoning behind it. It's just a headline. It is a headline. It's clickbait energy, yeah, it's, isn't it? it's <laughs> huge clickbait energy. But he probably wanted to be in the episode, so uh, I'll, I'll give it to him. But yeah, I'm going to have to say, sorry, that's just wrong. I'll give you a few, a few pointers. We'll give the obvious. Yeah, throw it. 2003, World Cup final, extra time. Slots the winning drop goal, not with his strong foot, his but, weak foot. But with his weak foot, yeah. I mean, that takes bottle. Uh, at, the, at the highest level of rugby, he's done that. I mean, that's he's already legendary status <laughs> before we move on. Also, brilliant tackler. Mm-hmm. Fly halves, stereotypically, aren't the best in defence. Johnny Wilkinson, however, was brilliant in defence. You go onto YouTube now and look at Johnny Wilkinson tackling compilations. You'll find some, you'll find some great tackles in there, yeah, Tom Yeah, some pretty Bridget. big hits, actually. Exactly. So that's another reason. Also... There was a, an incredible video that came out a few years ago when he was still playing at Toulon mm. where he gave the team talk in French no. and English. No way. Yeah. Didn't know he was such a linguist. I know. Bilingual team talk. I mean, that That's incredible. Not Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, I know. <laughs> average. I mean, does Tom mean his playing style? Does Tom mean. I mean, he's. An, he's I'll caveat this. He's an average pundit. Oh, <laughs> he's a terrible broadcaster. Awful, awful. But rugby player and, and leader, especially going off that team talk, I, I encourage anyone to, to watch that goosebumps those are a few of the reasons why i just don't think that is a valid opinion aside from also he's scored over a thousand points in rugby like not many people have done that silly silly numbers it's just they're silly numbers and for that reason you can't be average when you you're in like the top at least the top 10 you can't be average as a rugby player and and when you played rugby when you were younger 
Who didn't pretend to take a kick like Johnny Wilkinson? <laughs> Who didn't clutch their fists together and try and emulate... Little uh, squat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who didn't try that? I mean, any player that can have that much influence on the playground deserves uh, legendary status. And unfortunately, Johnny Wilkinson was not average, Tom. But thank you so much for sending in that opinion. All right, so next up, we've got uh, Caitlin Stacey. Thanks for sending uh, sending your opinion in. You did send quite a few in, actually. She also asked, can I have a shout-out on your next podcast, please? So, Caitlin, you're getting it. Congratulations. That, that counts, yeah. That, that counts. doesn't really count as an unpopular opinion, but she really wanted to be on this episode. <laughs> so so we're, we're allowing that, okay? <laughs> but her actual unpopular opinion is that you should get seven points for a try instead of five. And her reasoning is, it's kind of wishy-washy, but it's because it's a nicer number. Okay. And I think we can we can move it away from whether the number's nicer and maybe talk about the value of points. The value of points. Well, historically, no points were awarded for a try. The try was just like a reward to score a penalty goal. <laughs> really? Yeah. When so, was this? Is it 1800s? Kind of? Yeah, 1800s. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> um, and in fact, it's only since 1992 that it was five for a try. Okay. So I guess you're kind of on to something there in terms of it's it's not it's not as traditional as we thought it would be, perhaps. No, I think it, it's an interesting, interesting point of view beyond the fact that seven is a nicer number than five, which I think is a different conversation. But I'm not prepared to go into the value of, uh, <laughs> of how nice a number sounds. But I think if we want to encourage more tries in rugby in general, is it better if we start awarding seven points for a try, two points for a conversion, nine points for a converted try? Does that encourage teams to go for the corner even more and stop those stoppages uh, for, for all those penalty kicks? I'm not saying it is a good idea, but just throwing it out there. I mean, some Italy games in the Six Nations might become a bit demoralising. Oh, God, yeah. If we're awarding nine points for a converted try. I don't know. I, I, I love the point system of rugby and I don't really want to tamper with it too much. But you know what? As unpopular opinions go, it's an interesting one. So, Caitlin, thanks for sending that one in, and we'll move on to the next one. Moving on, we've got another unpopular opinion from Ellie Crook. She says, reduce the number of reserves so players have to play the full game, which equals tries, which equals fun. It's a strange maths equation. It also equals mean, because you're just making people run more. It does, but <laughs> I, I quite like this one. I think, I mean, there's just been this whole movement that Eddie Jones has kind of spearheaded about finishers and about mm-hmm. how they're really important to, to the game. And I, and I get it, they are. But who doesn't love more tries? And with rugby being quite, well, it's becoming more and more dangerous because players are getting bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. If you're getting these players to run a lot more, they're going to have to cut down on, on the amount of muscle they bring onto the pitch. And it might mean that less injuries and more tries... Okay. It's a theory. It's a theory. Wow. Do you like it? Well, I, well, I'd like less injuries. Yeah, I mean, we all <laughs> wouldn't like that. <laughs> that would be an unpopular opinion. That would be opinion. a very unpopular yeah. opinion. <laughs> I like seeing rugby players get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course, we all love a big collision, but I do think it would have a knock-on effect because players have to carry around less weight in order to play longer. Yes. My concern with it is that <laughs> most modern sports are moving towards the opposite. Yeah. So sports like hockey have rolling subs. Mm-hmm. Football, there was a time when there was five subs and people were really popular about that. Yeah. So I find it slightly, it's very unpopular mm-hmm. to, to suggest that less reserves. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can get behind it. I'm okay. sorry. But if we look at the, the end of her, her, of her opinion, it says 
more tries, more fun. Can get behind that. I can get behind that. More tries, more fun. Very popular. Maybe there's another way to go around it. But I like your thinking. So thanks for sending that in. And our next unpopular opinion comes from Mr. Freddie Barnes. Dan Bigger only plays well against England. I mean, that is unpopular. It's very unpopular. And we've, we have just gone through why Wales wouldn't have won the championship last year without red cards. <laughs> so I feel slightly concerned if we support this unpopular opinion. <laughs> so unfortunately, Freddie, my immediate reaction to that is wrong. It's just wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. I like Dan Bigger. I like the way he plays. I yeah. think he's a great kicker. I think he's a great leader of that Brilliant side. leader. He's a really good professional. I've heard really great things about how he's sort of brought in other players around him when he's been in, in setups and turned up at Ospreys on the first day and said, hi, my name's Dan Bigger. I'm going to be like the best player you've ever had. Oh, I love That's, it. That sounds awful now, but at the same time, he's he's produced the goods. No, but Fair, I, full credit to him. I love it when you hear stories about sportsmen doing that. Tom Brady, I think, said to Robert Kraft when he got drafted. I mean, this is a completely different sport and some people might have no idea. Most people know who Tom Brady is. And now we're comparing Tom Brady to, to Dan Bigger. Bigger. God, I don't want to, he's not that good. Uh, but he said to, to the owner of the New England Patriots, he was like, I'm the best decision your organization's ever right. made. And then he goes and has an unbelievable career. So I love it when I hear stories about that. Yeah. But I just think Dan Bigger plays brilliantly against England. But a lot of players from Scotland, Wales and Ireland play brilliantly when they face England because it it, it usually is the, the biggest game for them. Just putting another little side road here. Yeah. Would you have preferred to see someone else start during the Lions tests other than Dan Bigger? Um, I mean, look, who was, who was second in command there? Finn Russell, right? Yeah, I really liked it when Finn Russell came on, just going to say. Yeah. I. It depends what kind of rugby you like. Clearly, Finn Russell is... is the sort of rugby I like is more tries, more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think that's he's, the Finn Russell way. He's how big is a safe, a safe pair of hands. He gives you. He's more consistent than than Finn Russell, right. but he doesn't give like on his on top form. You probably take Finn Russell. Like if you, if you could get a ten out of ten from one of them, you probably take Finn Russell. I'm going to push you on this. Yeah. Who do you prefer, Dan Bigger or Johnny Sexton? Johnny Sexton. Oh, okay, there we have it. But but either way. The unpopular opinion was Dan Bigger only yeah. plays well against England. I think that's not true. He's a brilliant player who's done so well for Wales over the last few years. And he's he started Lions Test. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Sorry, Freddie. On to the next one. Our next one is from Beth Wilkins. She says that a rugby ball should be shaped like a football. Interesting. Now, I was, you know, I was at odds as to whether to include this one, but I thought she's gone to the effort of sending us an unpopular opinion. Thank you very much. So thank you, Beth. I mean, if you want to watch... A game that's like rugby, but the ball's shaped like a football. Gaelic football. Gaelic football's the one for you, Beth. It sounds like right up your street. Exactly. And it's very complicated, though. I still haven't got my head around it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it seeing it. I've no idea what's going on. Maybe that's how some people feel about rugby. Yeah, they probably do. The one thing I would say also with that is that the great thing about rugby sometimes is when kicks go through and there's, they're really unpredictable, the bounce. Never trust a bouncing ball in rugby. Exactly. It's, it's such an old saying, but it's so true. I love that unpredictability and... If you change it to a football, you lose that. So, Beth, unfortunately, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But thanks for sending your opinion in. Now, this next one, I'll admit, I stole from the World Wide Web. I surfed the net. Yep. I went onto the interweb. And this is what I found. Okay. Players before the game went professional would never be able to compete in the modern day game. So whenever someone makes a greatest 15 ever... 
and puts in Player X from 1990, it immediately makes it not the best. Wow. It's a very well laid out um, question. It's very well thought out, yes. You know, and I like it. It's uh, it's a bit different to what we've had uh, before in today's episode. The thing is with rugby, of course. Yeah. Turn professional 1995. Yeah. I didn't start really watching rugby until about 2006. Well, you weren't born in 1995. No, of course, of course. (laughs) But you know, (laughs) thank you, Charlie. (laughs) Um, So I don't know that many players who came before then, but of course, a lot of pundits were players who played in the. Sure. In the pre-professional era, yeah. uh, obviously that's changing a little bit now, but I would I would tend to agree with that opinion because when you when you look at rugby now and how much money, especially in, in England and the home home nations, how much money is invested into it in terms of coaching, you know, strength and conditioning, what players eat, players have just gotten fitter, faster, stronger, all of that. Sure. If you if you had a time uh, a time machine and could travel back and pit one great team against a great team from today, mm-hmm. I do think it would be a real mismatch. Just because of fitness levels. Maybe not because of skill, yeah. but fitness levels. Yeah. Well, it's tricky because if we're going to go down this line and you say that player X from 1990 is not going to go in, then mm-hmm. you're going to miss out on some really great players, aka jo- Jonah Lomu. Yeah. But if you transport them using your time machine <laughs> and you put Jonah Lomu, the characteristics of what we've got of, as Jonah Lomu as an athlete, and yeah. as a rugby player and you put him into the modern day, being fair, Jonah Lomu, I'm sure, would still be as good as he was because he'd yeah. be faster, stronger, fitter. So, yeah, it's but, tricky. Yeah, he'd be faster, stronger and fitter and all those things. He would still be great. I think that's a really good point. But then the players he was toppling back in the 90s yeah. and before that weren't faster, stronger, fitter like they are today. It's a good point. It's worth putting into the mix that the players he was playing against were... yeah. The opposite of faster, fitter, stronger yeah. <laughs> without annoying anyone. <laughs> He'd still be good. And also, I think you have to measure players in their era. Yeah, you have to put it all in context. So if you've got the greatest player of the 80s in rugby, you can't ignore him. I mean, Willie McBride gets into every single Ultimate Lions 15 yeah. and didn't play in the professional era. Right. This debate happens a lot in football, actually. And yes, it does. It's whether players in the past could be transferred into being into the greatest teams of today and whether they're comparable. And what I've heard is that lots of people will put forward this argument that footballers back in the day were just really good footballers and they had the skill, whereas footballers footballers of today are just really good athletes. And it's sort of like whether we have to just put this sort of respect for skill back in the day and just sort of ignore the fact that there is the the fitter, stronger, faster argument on the other side of, of the debate and just respect the fact that these players back in the day were really, really skillful. And that's what we should be celebrating, the, the skill of the French sides in the 80s and 90s with Saint-André and Serge Blanco, really skillful players who created iconic moments in rugby that were just really skillful. And that's mm-hmm. what we're celebrating when we're talking about great players from the past. And yeah. yes, it's un- incomparable, but at the same time, we can't just forget about those other players just because they weren't as strong and fit and yes. fast. I think so. I think if you're doing a greatest team ever, it would do a disservice to to the sport to be like, okay, but you can only pick people post-1995. But I think it's a, a great unpopular opinion, but there's lots of nuance to it. And I think we've just we've sort of scratched the surface there, but we'll but we'll move on to the to the next one. Mm-hmm. 
Our penultimate unpopular opinion is from Alex Painter. He says that Alan jones is an average player and only on the pitch to be captain. We've gone back down the average player route. It's just so difficult to, to say that they're average when you just know they're not average. I, yeah. I just disagree. I, I, it's difficult. I feel like we're Welsh bashing in this episode. <laughs> but these these were your unpopular opinions, not ours. Um, but, you know, I, I have actually heard people say this before. It's not necessarily right, but I don't think it's a... And it's definitely an unpopular opinion. Definitely. But I don't think it's just held by Alex. I think there is there are a few people who, who think this. Perhaps he represents a lot of previous greatness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? He represents a lot that's not as versatile as a Maritoji yeah. or a Woki. These emerging players that have both skill, power mm-hmm. and leadership. Whereas Alan Jones has power, leadership... And of course he's skillful, but he's nowhere near as skillful as some of the yeah. other players we're seeing coming through in second row. But also, surely he can't be deemed average when he's however old he is now and he keeps coming back from injuries. Yeah. He's like Lazarus. He just <laughs> like, you know, he breaks his neck and breaks his leg and is back within two days of the training. He's ground. just gonna keep playing until he's fifty. It's ridiculous how durable he is for someone who's at the end of his career. And there's a reason why he keeps getting picked. Uh, on Lions tours and as a captain uh, on on the Lions tour, so that reason being that Warren Gatlin has been the coach. What I didn't we, say that. That's an unpopular that, opinion. That wasn't me. <laughs> but there, there's a reason why why big big coaches have real respect uh, for Alan Wynne Jones, and he's maybe he he's not average. He may not be the best lock in the world. Yeah. But he's certainly been up there for for the last ten years, and I I I don't see any doubt in that. He's an absolute beast at a mall. Yeah. Pulling players through, completely respect him for that sort of skill of the game, that dark art of the game. Exactly. But does that make you above average just because you're really good in them all? I don't, I don't, yeah, I yes. don't know. I'm going to say okay. yes. Okay. I, I just think average, he can't be considered average. If Alex's opinion was he can't be considered one of the best to play the game, one of the best locks to play the game, then we might have a bit, a bit more of a, a nuanced debate. Right. But I think saying he's average, unfortunately, Alex, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, and Alan Wynne-Jones is, in my opinion, a great player and a brilliant leader. And our final popular opinion is that we need more Friday night Six Nations matches and fewer Sunday Six Nations matches. It is supposedly an unpopular opinion. I think that's a great opinion. I love it. Who I doesn't love the Friday night games? It's so good. I mean, Sunday it's all right. It's not bad. Yeah. But Friday night games are great. It's such a good end to the week. And I don't like Sunday games because I've had the joy of Saturday. And yeah. then the Sunday games are normally the ones that are just a bit of a snooze fest. I yeah. don't want to stereotype them. But at the same time, whenever I think of them, it's like Ireland, Italy or something. You know, <laughs> it's not one that I really want to watch. It's also at like quarter past two or three o'clock on a Sunday and I don't, there's something about that time that also doesn't fill me with excitement I'm already thinking about what's happening on Monday on Sunday I, yeah you know it's not going to distract me enough but yeah exactly I, I think Friday Night Light games and we're going to talk about the Wales France one next I think there there's always something magical about them I can see why it is an unpopular opinion because for a fan to travel for a Friday night game is really difficult if you're yeah. going from France to Wales on the Friday you've probably got to take Friday off and then go I don't see a problem with that personally because I'd love that but yeah. at the same time I can see the difficulties with it and I think Welsh fans are rightly annoyed about it because it seems to always be Wales who are it's always in uh, in Paris or in Cardiff that those Friday night games happen I think I, mean, I don't have the, the stats to hand but I, I can't do remember you do? Brilliant. nine Friday night ma- 
<laughs> Nine Friday night matches have been played in the Six Nations since they were first introduced in 2009. Six of them have been played in Cardiff. Eight of them have involved Wales. So nine out of the eight Friday night games since 2009 have involved Wales. I wonder why that is. And it's because England and Ireland both don't, they just reject it every time. Both both, both of them just don't want it. Yeah. And I think that I can see why they introduced it because we're just saying we love it and it's Mm -hmm. a great idea. If someone put that in a boardroom meeting, boom, done. Great idea. You're hired. Um, (laughs) As an unpopular opinion goes, and I guess the last one we're doing for today, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay, and finally, we're going to talk about this weekend's Six Nations action. First up, we've got Wales hosting France at the Principality on Friday night. Can't wait. Eight o'clock. It's going to be a big one. I mean, it's, it's always it's always a big game at the Principality. We've talked about it so much over the last few weeks. But despite Wales losing against England, playing in front of a full crowd at the Principality, having champions elect france come and visit it just it's it's set up really nicely it really is and it's been tight in the last few times that these two sides have faced each other in the last five six nations matches between the sides the largest winning margin has been five points okay and in the in three of those contests the two sides were only separated by only two points wow short headline it's really close this game <laughs> especially recently hard so to call. so hard to call and i mean when they met in the the world cup as well that was 2019 to to wales it's got the makings of a tight game on a friday should be a real cracker if wales can pull out a great performance and beat france it really uh, puts the cat amongst the pigeons does it for the last uh, for the last weekend you know if england or ireland can can do a job over each other as well you go into the final weekend with multiple teams able to win that's what you want it to be yeah and it's it's what the game needs as well the neutral wants to see that as well if you can if you can persuade someone that to come and watch this game you've got to headline it as you were just saying that this is all to play for so i really really hope wales can do a job i rarely rarely support wales (laughs) but it'll be nice to see them beat france and uh, set up the final weekend really really nicely next up we've got italy hosting scotland on the saturday at quarter past two now, Scotland coming off the back of a defeat to France, a heavy defeat to France at Murrayfield. Italy's a great game to reset. Forget about what happened a couple of weekends ago. Try and put a few points on the board and try and salvage the Six Nations, really. What I'm interested to see, though, is whether Italy are taking this as an opportunity to also perhaps not reset, but to put the other game, the Ireland game, to bed and say, look, we got slightly sort of embarrassed in that, in that game, just purely, not just from from their performance, but also just sort of by the rules of rugby. Yeah. And now's an opportunity to host Scotland at a time where Scotland aren't looking so good. And I mean, I still think Scotland will win this one. But at the same time, I think Italy will really be wanting to show the best of what they can do. Again, I hope so, because usually when I scan through the the fixtures for each weekend, whoever's playing Italy, unless it's England, I'm kind of like, okay, well, I probably will still watch it, but I'm not very excited about it. So I really hope Italy can put in a performance. They don't have to run Scotland close but again just just try and produce an 80 minute performance with good discipline try not to get a hooker sent off when they've already got one injured <laughs> and uh, yeah but I, I hopefully Scotland get back on track as well it's it's a good game for both and I agree with you Scotland have got some injury boosts coming back into the squad yeah. so Johnny Gray will be back Ross Thompson will be back and Adam Hastings who has been left out of the squad and I think would be a real change of, of pace for Scotland mm-hmm. uh, well maybe not pace just style 
Um, I think it'd be really good to get him involved. But Rufus McLean is out, and I was really excited to be able to see him come back into the side because yeah. when I watched him play last, he was absolutely sensational. It's worth remembering for your fantasy teams that the last time these two played, Stuart Hogg played 10. So <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten that. So Yeah, and a 52-10 thrashing with no cards that time. So, me. so yes, tasty one. Exactly. Tasty one, but uh, the big clash is later on in the day when we have England hosting Ireland at Twickenham at quarter to five. Goodness me, Eddie Jones calls it England's semi-final. Uh, yeah, and he phrased that in the in the Next Level um, yeah. documentary, well, whatever we want to call it, mini documentary on YouTube. I like the way he frames it, that, you know, the Six Nations is realistically a tournament which is comes to a knockout in the end. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, this is a semi-final now. I, I think actually the Six Nations could use that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I guess you don't want to be supporting sides. You want to keep a bit of jeopardy to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think that that translates the complexities of the Six Nations in a nice way. Mm-hmm. That this is a semi-final now. And then, you know, it could progress to being a final on the weekend. After. Exactly. I mean, although Eddie says it's a semi-final, I'm not 100% confident at the moment. I, I haven't really been throughout this whole tournament, but Alex Dombrandt, out with COVID. Yeah. Uh, potentially, he's potentially back uh, this Wednesday, but we don't know whether... I really whether hope he comes back because I think he has been brilliant yes, for England. Yes, I agree. And I've really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, Tom Curry has yet to pass his return to play protocols after getting concussed. But Sam Underhills should be back potentially. Yes. He's in the squad. He's in the all. squad. So... You know, we, we have options again. Odds on him to play eight, because oh <laughs> in classic Eddie Jones Please, fashion. No. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we've got no Manitou Lange, which is a real shame, because I don't think he's going to play any part in this tournament now. He might have a chance for France. But England really need to find that power from somewhere, because if they're without Alex Dombrandt, who they went to a lot against Wales, and they're without Manitou Lange, they're going to have to find alternative ways to attack against an Irish side who... On the other end of the spectrum, they just seem to know what to do every time they get the ball. They've and they should so have many... Johnny Sexton back. Yeah, exactly, which is a huge plus for them. Their attacking game is so well structured. It's great to watch when it all goes right. I think, of course, we're lucky we're at Twickenham. A little bit of advantage there, so it should level the playing field slightly. But Ireland as well, they they have a real chance to, to win the championship if someone can do them a favour against France. So if Wales go and beat France on Friday night, there's a huge, huge carrot in front of Ireland to, to say, well, we've got Scotland on the final weekend to potentially win the title if we score enough points or however it comes down to or, or whatever it comes down to. So it's a massive clash and I'm, I'm not confident as an Englishman, but I, I rarely am in these games, especially <laughs> with, the form, with the form we're in. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, Charlie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Predictions for all three games. Let's go through them. Wales against France Friday night. What are you saying? I mean, it's going to be tight. I'm going to say France by three. France by three. I think I'm going to go... Do I want to put my neck on the line? No, France by seven. Uh, Italy against Scotland. What are you saying for that one? Scotland by 15... I want to be pessimistic just because I don't want to curse Scotland by being optimistic again. Yeah. But also, I just I just don't really know with Scotland whether they're just going to get a little bit shocked by, a, a, as I said, a potentially enthused Italy side. I doubt it. Yeah. But I'm going to say 15 just so I can be safe. Okay, nice. I'm going to go for Scotland by 28. I think that's completely reasonable. Um, it, they, they might not have Duan Vernemoa back because he got sent off for Worcester on the weekend. But still, they've got plenty of options in attack. I just think it's their chance to get their mojo back. So yeah, I'm saying Scotland by 28. And finally, probably the hardest game to predict this weekend, England against Ireland. Ireland by five? By five? 
I just, I, as you said, I don't back England right now. Yeah. I think Ireland will win it. I don't know what the, the scoreline will be. I hope it doesn't get ugly. I don't think it will do, but there is a slight part of me that thinks that things are turning in the wrong way. Yeah. I think it will be close. I think it might be one of those games where Ireland win by three, say, but maybe dominate large parts of the game and maybe should be ahead by more. So I'm going to say Ireland by three. I hope it's the other way around. It's a really difficult game to call, but I just think Ireland are at a different stage in their development uh, at this moment in time. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were pleased with our analysis of all your unpopular opinions and didn't disagree with us too badly. Of course, we'll be back next week to review all Six Nations games, but thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed it, make sure to go and follow the podcast, as always, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, if you haven't already, at the Pod. And if you're feeling extra nice, give us that five-star rating on whatever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. But in the meantime, of course, we will be back next week. So we'll see you then. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>